0: Today on Pilgrim Radio's His People, Patrick Miller, on rejecting political tribalism and choosing truth and building God's
1: kingdom instead. And I know that it is tearing apart churches, and this is one of the biggest challenges that you as a Christian or as a, as a leader in your church community have to face, which is how do you hold together a community where people of every political persuasion can actually find a home and worship alongside one another? That is not an easy task. Patrick Miller, next.
0: Missouri Pastor Patrick Miller says tribalism is taking a toll on families, friendships, and churches. There is a way out, though, by choosing Jesus' path of truth and love over tribalism and fear. This hopeful message is found in the new book, Truth Over Tribe, Pledging Allegiance to the Lamb, Not the Donkey or the Elephant. Patrick Miller is a pastor at The Crossing, and he wrote the book with Keith Simon, the co-lead teaching pastor of the church. Pastor Miller, to lay the foundation, why did you and Pastor Simon write Truth Over Tribe?
1: The truth is that we're both recovering tribalists. Mm. Keith and I, my co-author, we come from different sides of the political aisle, and we love to tell our story. So back in the early 90s, uh, some of your listeners might remember that Republicans won the House for the first time in something like 30 years and keith was a big time republican and when this happened he took his shirt off spun it around his head and ran around his backyard (laughs) so that shows you where he was at And, and i was i was very similar although i honestly came at things from the left i remember when i was in college barack obama came to visit my college campus i went with a number of friends and i was so full of hope and excitement for what he was going to do for our country and our nation. But what both Keith and I found out was that our expectations, our hopes were misplaced, that the promises politicians make, even if they're done in good faith with the best intents, um, rarely end up panning out. And that Jesus has a bigger, better vision for our life together and for our world than any politician can have. And here's the best part, he has the power to do it. And so we've had to go through a long, slow process of figuring out what it looks like to put Jesus ahead of our political allegiances.
0: When you talk about tribe, at least the application that you're using here in your book, Truth Over Tribe, you're talking primarily about the political
1: tribe? Yeah. You know, I I think that we can have lots of different tribes. You know, um, in the past, a a lot of people have identified based on their ethnic tribe. Uh, They felt a strong allegiance if you were white to fellow white people, if you were black to fellow black people. And of course, that still happens today. But Mm -hmm. these days, it seems as though the world is becoming increasingly political. There's hardly a topic about which people on different sides of the political aisle don't disagree. (laughs) They can't agree on anything. And increasingly, it seems as though our views on whatever topic we're talking about aren't shaped by the fact that we've thought deeply about them, or by the fact that we're Christians walking with Jesus, which would mean, hey, Jesus, what do you say about this topic? They seem to be shaped increasingly by our political tribe. And whether it's uh, us listening to the words of the New York Times or whatever source you're coming from, oftentimes those talking heads, those pundits, they are the ones that are shaping our politics uh, more than Jesus is. And it's because, again, we're, we're locked into the tribe of the elephant or the tribe of the donkey.
0: Can you define for us, uh, what, what, you you kind of given some examples, but do you have a kind of a, you and uh, Pastor Simon have a working definition for
1: what a tribe is? One of the first questions that we were asked, we were interviewed early on, and we realized in our book we did not actually define tribalism. Uh-huh. And I'm, in one way, I don't think you need to because most people don't want to be tribalistic and most people don't even see themselves as being tribal. But there's a number of ways you could define it. Um, the way we tend to use it is anytime you find yourself in a mentality or in a mindset where you have a us versus them attitude. Anytime you find yourself in a place where you're susceptible to groupthink. I believe what I believe about this topic because this is what all of my friends believe. Anytime you're in a position where you meet someone and they tell you something about themselves and that automatically makes you distrust them. You're not a good person or you're not a reliable person. You may be susceptible to tribalism. So so tribalism, you might just call it our hivishness. It's the ways we're like bees and ants. And we, (laughs) we gather around our crowd. We believe what our crowd thinks. We defend our crowd against anyone else, whether or not they're right or wrong, because we don't stop to think about whether they're right or wrong. And perhaps most importantly, we see people outside of our tribe as a threat. Maybe not a threat that we want to harm or, 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 or kill or cause you know uh, economic harm to, but it's still a threat to my way of life and my way of being. So that's not a short definition, but I think everybody intuitively mm-hmm. has one. The key for me is this us versus them mentality.
0: And is this kind of all part of the cultural ethos that we currently live in? I mean, people generally, it seems, don't want to have a thoughtful conversation across the aisle or across different uh, viewpoints. They kind of want to know, do you agree with me or disagree? They want to express their opinion. And if you disagree, well, then uh, typically you're canceled, you're ignored, you're written off. For whatever reason, I mean, that's all part of the world, the state of things today.
1: Yeah, I think it's become the norm. And, you know, different ages will be more or less tribalistic, and they'll be tribalistic in different ways. But again, today, the the issue seems to be politics. Let's just stop and think about um, our politicians working in Washington. Now, obviously, there's some some great, fantastic, wonderful people working in Washington, Mm D.C., but many of the most famous, many of the most well-known, they use their position in the institution that they're serving in, whether that's the, the Senate or the presidency or the House of Representatives, they use that institution as a platform for their tribe as a platform for themselves. And so they aren't interested in actually doing the job, which would be legislating. Instead, they're interested in getting uh a a spot on CNN or a spot on Fox News that they can get attention and raise their own name recognition, and they do it by feeding this tribalistic monster. They're saying to people who want to hear the right's the best, the left's the worst, the left's the best, the right's the worst, exactly what they want to hear. And again, there's nothing new about this. We could go through the story of the Bible and find examples of this kind of us versus them tribalism throughout the entire biblical story. What's really critical is that when we get to the time of Jesus, this is the issue facing the church, only it was the tribalism that existed between Jews and Gentiles in particular. And Jesus was crystal clear. I mean, Paul writes this in Ephesians 2, he says that when Jesus came, he said through his death, through his body, he tore down the dividing wall that separated Jews and Gentiles. So there was no longer an us and a them or a us versus them. Jesus brings together what the world can't bring together. And it's a beautiful witness to his power and his glory that he can do what no president, what no senator, what no representative could ever possibly do. He can bring people together across the political divide. Mm.
0: Well, the book is "Truth Over Tribe," pledging allegiance to the lamb, not the donkey or the elephant. My guest is uh, Patrick Miller. He's a pastor at the Crossing Church, and he wrote the book with uh, the lead pastor, co-lead pastor there, Keith Simon. And, uh, and maybe this is an obvious question, and, and as we move more into uh, tribalism and, and, and a bit of, bit of the negative uh, effects in our lives, and then how, as you were just explaining, how the Scripture addresses it from the old in the new testaments and the really the remedy for it but I- at least in a kind of in a nutshell how has the pandemic exacerbated the tribalism which as you said isn't really new it's been with us all along
1: yeah i i think uh, we are most likely to become tribalistic when we don't know the them in our life right it, if I, if let's say I'm a Republican, if I know a Democrat and I work with that Democrat and I've seen that they bring me food when I'm sick and they're kind when I'm down and they come alongside me and help me do my job well, well, I still might not become a Democrat, but I'm not going to believe that all Democrats are demons, that they're monsters, that they're people who um, want the worst for the world, that they're they're all either you know a, a stupid or sinister that kind of mindset. Well, what happened in the pandemic was we were all isolated, we ceased knowing people or we had less time with people who didn't share our values and our world view and as a result it became increasingly easier to assume the worst about them add to that that more of us were spending more time online and the internet algorithms which are controlling our social media feeds they were giving us more and more content that uh, jazzed up our emotions and in particular the emotion of anger and outrage mm. and it turns out that you will become really outraged if they give you content that shows the worst about your enemies so now we don't have time with people who maybe we naturally mistrust, and we're getting all of this content fed to us uh, that, that shows us why we should mistrust them. And then you add into the fact that we're in a political election year, which is always a tense political time. Well, that is a cocktail for a tribalistic disaster. Um, that's exactly what happened. I, I don't really think we've recovered from what happened in 2020 in terms of political tribalism.
0: And I'm wondering if you could tell us, it's a story that's early on in the book and it kind of frames the, the, the issue of, of tribalism and at least one way to address it, uh, that of the cinnamon rolls.
1: <laughs> yeah. So back in 2019, my co-author, Keith Simon, he preached a sermon. We were going through the book of Genesis, and we got to Genesis one twenty seven to 29, which says that God made humanity in his image, male and female, he made them. And so Keith preached a sermon that uh, there really are only two immutable genders, and this, the core of his message was not actually that. It was, yes, that's the truth. And yet, Christians, we've been called to love and show grace and mercy to our trans community. That was the heart of his message. But we we, we were trying to put together grace and truth in this message. Well, that caused a, a lot of uh, heartache and a lot of frustration and suffering uh, and anger in our community at the time. Uh, and again, this is right before the pandemic. It's October of 2019. So the pandemic rolls around, and there's a, there's a local uh, bakery that makes amazing cinnamon rolls and here's the best part about them though they hire almost exclusively people with disabilities now the problem was with the pandemic happening they thought that they were going to have to lay a bunch of people off because no one's buying cinnamon rolls when there's a pandemic and so we came up with this crazy idea Editor, our church so what if we just got a big donation and we just started buying as many cinnamon rolls from them as possible so that they could stay in business and people wouldn't lose their jobs mm-hmm. and when you have that many cinnamon rolls you have a question who do I send the cinnamon rolls to? And we decided that we would send them to teachers. Because at the time, teachers were having... I mean, they had a very hard job. They never taught online before. How do you do this? Yep. And so we started sending off those cinnamon rolls to teachers. And it's going great. They're going online saying, hey, thanks so much. This is amazing. We're saying, no, thanks to you for what you're doing during this. Lots of good, positive feelings until... The cinnamon rolls got canceled because one uh, one principal, a middle school principal, uh, sent Keith an email and said, uh, while I appreciate the gift. Uh, I understand that the crossing holds transphobic views and we can't receive cinnamon rolls from someone who's transphobic like the crossing is. Now, me personally, I would take a cinnamon roll from the devil because I love him so much. But yeah. apparently uh, he felt that uh, accepting the cinnamon rolls would compromise his integrity. And so we had to decide, I, mean, I remember Keith and I, we were talking, what do we do? You know, do we scroll off an angry email telling him how wrong he is and how ridiculous this is? Do we write to central office and say, we've got this principle out there and he's misrepresenting us? What do we do? Well, I think the most important question is this, what would Jesus do? And I'm not telling it because I wear some sort of funny bracelet or something like that. I really think it's an important question. And you know what I think Jesus would do? I think he would tell us to love our enemies. I think Jesus would look at that principle and he would say, I want to make a friend. That's exactly what we did. We said, we're not going to try to win an argument. We're going to make a friend. So we invited him out for uh, pizza. Maybe he's not a dessert guy. Maybe that's why he didn't like the cinnamon rolls. (laughs) And we ended up grabbing pizza together. And it was a fantastic conversation because he said that in the interim, he'd gotten to do more research and realized that actually we weren't some uh, fundamentalist group, that we actually really weren't transphobic or any of the words that he called us and he talked to someone in central office said like they're not even putting jesus stickers on the cinnamon rolls there's there's no ulterior motives here with the cinnamon rolls and he said I, you know i wish i would have accepted them but he also explained that he had a very valued staff member who really disliked our message and what we said as a church and he was trying to defend that staff member and we said okay that makes sense you know that's that's what we'd want to do too we'd want to defend our own staff member and, and so we came to ask each other questions and listen to one another and see the humanity in the other person and we walked away from that and we said you know what isn't that the kind of community you want to be a part of one where we can find common ground, one where we can assume the best, one where we can ask questions and listen more than we speak. And when we did that with him, and when we did that with everybody who didn't like that sermon, we come with pen and paper and say, You tell us everything you want us to know. And we wouldn't try to defend ourselves. We just write down their notes. When you have that kind of attitude, you will watch tribalistic boundaries crumble over time. And one question people will ask me is, They'll say, Well, are you saying that tribalism is always wrong? And, and I say, Well, no. Um, I don't think that tribalism is necessarily wrong. I think God designed us to be communal creatures. And so the tribalistic desires we have innately um, to to, to band with one another, to do good things with one another, to help one another, that's actually the positive side of tribalism. The problem is that sin turns that dark. Mm -hmm. Sin turns it into a, again, that us versus them mentality. And when Jesus comes along, he actually comes along to establish a new tribe. But what's wild about his tribe is that it breaks the rules of every other tribe tribe. Every other tribe sets boundary lines. This is who's in and this is who's out. This is who can be in the club and this is who can't be in the club. These are the people we like. These are people we don't. And Jesus says, nope, not, not, not in my tribe. Everybody without exception is welcome to come and be a part of my tribe if they want to. So he doesn't set boundaries. But it's not just that. Normal tribes, they see other tribes as a threat. And so they want to sometimes do harm towards them or at least stop them from having as much good as they have. And Jesus calls his tribe to love the other tribe, to love their enemies, to put their needs first. So it's like an anti tribe tribe. <laughs> it's a tribe that says, everybody is welcome and we're for you if you're not with us. That is so backwards from how most tribes work, but it is a tribe because we have a king and we have a way of living together. We have all the positive parts of tribalism without all the negative parts, if we're doing it right and we're trusting in him.
0: How does that inform, at least within the church, within bodies of believers uh, and more broadly the Christian community, how we interact with those? At- may be in completely different places from us, say politically.
1: Well, I think the first way it changes things for you is that you realize that truly you once were lost and you now, are found, and so when you meet someone who's not inside, again, it's about which tribe's the most important. If your political tribe is sitting in the foreground, you will never be able to be in a small group with someone who's on the other political side. You will never be able; you will likely never invite someone to church um, and have them accept <laughs> <laughs> who's who's in a different political party than you. If the, if your political party is your most important tribe, you're 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 not going to be able to put Jesus into the foreground. But when you have Jesus in the foreground, you'll find it rather easy to talk with someone on the other political side, because rather than being the one who has to answer all the questions and win an argument, you're there to win a friend because you want to win them into the kingdom. You have a different goal in mind. And so you'll ask questions and you'll try to understand why do they believe what they believe? What's happened in their life that's led them to the positions that they hold? And you might actually learn something new. I'm not saying that you're going to change your mind, but if you have a open mindset of asking questions and listening, you will be amazed if you do that for long enough, what they start asking you. And instead of talking about your politics and your political interests, what if you start talking about Jesus? What if you start talking about his kingdom? What if you started talking about his love and his mercy and his grace in a way that attracted that person to him? And you didn't create an obstruction for them to know Jesus and say, well, if you're going to come to church, you're really going to need to put down the Republican flag or the Democrat flag or whatever else it is that you're bringing in. You say, no, you, you can come as you are to him because this is a tribe for anyone and everyone.
0: You're encouraging, too, you and uh, Pastor Simon, in your book, Truth Over Tribe, you encourage us, and you were really just doing that there, to uh, cross tribal lines, Uh, as you say, it's it's not that necessarily the idea of tribe, because there's so many different ones, is going to go away, but having that mindset of following Jesus first and uh, crossing tribal lines, Um, that's kind of novel for a lot of people, maybe especially these days, right?
1: Oh, it really is. Back in September, uh, Keith and I had this wonky idea. We thought, well, what if we gave everybody in our church $5 gift cards uh, to a local coffee shop? And we said, here's the only rule, if you take one. Uh, (laughs) The only rule is you have to take someone out who's not in your tribe. Maybe it's a different age group. Maybe they're a different ethnicity. Mm. Maybe they're a different socioeconomic bracket. Maybe they're a different political persuasion. The only rule is you have to take out someone from a different tribe. second rule is you only ask questions. You are not there to sit on your soapbox. You're there to listen and build a relationship. And what we saw come out of that was beautiful. Because when you're willing to cross tribal lines and ask someone questions, they feel dignified. Because you are. You are dignifying the fact that they are made in the image of God, that they can think, that they can come to conclusions. And I think that's what builds bridges to invite people into the kingdom of Jesus. And I I think the alternative is, 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 is rather hopeless. You know, Because if you won't tr- cross those tribal lines, then then, then who, who will reach these people? Who's going to say, hey, come be a part of what we're doing? Hey, come and meet Jesus.
0: I, I think you mentioned in your book that uh, your church, the crossing there in Columbia, Missouri, is Columbia. I, I'm not familiar with it, but you say that it is largely kind of a progressive community. So your church, mm-hmm. by definition, has kind of both of those tribes, those Christian tribes. Can you talk about that and how you're— how your yeah. So when we started the
1: when we started the crossing in 2000, um, Columbia is a blue dot in a red state. So we're a college town. So the you know the city itself is. Uh, largely left-leaning, um, but the county and its environs are all right-leaning. And that meant that when you came to church, you really couldn't assume that the person sitting down, you know, the pew or the aisle from you uh, was in your political party. When you went to a small group, you couldn't really assume that they voted for the same person that you voted for. And I think that was beautiful. You know, again, in the book of Ephesians, Paul talks about how we um, witness uh, to, to, to the failure of the demonic powers and principalities. One of the ways we do it is by looking different than them because the demonic powers and principalities, they know how to how to rev up tribalism. They know how to get people who all see the world the same way to, to like each other and hate everybody else. They know how to do that. What they can't do is bring people together who are different. And so that's what we saw in our community is that we were able to bring people together. Now, I will say this, since 2016 and especially 2020, it has become increasingly hard to do that. And I know that's not just true inside the church. It's probably true inside of your family. I have a good friend who... For years, would go and uh, they'd do a little family reunion, and it wasn't her family; it was her spouse's family. Uh, but this family reunion, it was I think thirty years. They'd have about a hundred people mm. every single time. So this is obviously a family that really likes each other. However. Uh, down the line um, in 2016, someone got up and very loudly started announcing that they were voting for Donald Trump and someone else got up and started very loudly arguing that they would never vote for Donald Trump. And I can't believe that you would do that. And maybe the argument would have died except for Facebook because they had a Facebook group for their family and they kept the argument going on there. And it got meaner, and meaner, and meaner to the point that when uh, one person in one of the tribes um, died, it was a father. He was a father, young father. He died of uh, rare cancer. People boycotted his wedding and his family because of who he voted for. And then later on, the opposite happened. The other tribe did the exact same thing. There was a there was a wedding that came along and they only invited along the family members who agreed with them. Is that the kind of family you want to be in? I mean this stuff can rip apart close families that have been doing, you know, family reunions for 30 years with 100 people. If it can tear apart people like that, you better believe that it can tear apart the church. And I know that it is tearing apart churches. And this is one of the biggest challenges that you as a Christian or as a as a leader in your church community have to face, which is how do you hold together a community where people of every political persuasion can actually find a home and worship alongside one another? That is not an easy task.
0: Well what would be the keys uh, for that uh Pastor Miller?
1: Yeah, I I We we, we've done a number of things that I think have helped us tremendously. Um, The the first is, with much sadness, we've we've simply had to become okay with the extreme wings of our church. The people who do ultimately—I don't know—they would put it this way—but who have pledged allegiance to the Lamb. Sorry, who pledge pledged allegiance to the donkey or the elephant, and the lamb comes second or third, mm. further down the line. Those people have left our churches, um, and they've gone to churches. Maybe, they, maybe that church has a rainbow flag out front. Maybe the other church has a MAGA flag out front. I don't know. They've found other churches with people who want to um, mix their Christianity with their political ideology. Uh, but what we've tried to do is put in the foreground— those are, those are important things. They're not, not things that aren't valuable, but what's far more important is your allegiance to Jesus. And I think what that often looks like is a willingness, if you're a Christian leader, to push on both sides. If you look through your sermons and you have done nothing to push on the other side of the political aisle, which might be because everybody in your church is already on one side, I would really challenge you, find some way to push even just a little bit mm-hmm. on the political idols of everybody inside your church. And so we do that very carefully. We, we, we will take um, throw punches at both sides. Um, on the other end of things, I will say this. There's a lot of pastors who are going to hear this and they're going to think, ah, see, this is why we don't talk about anything political, anything controversial in church. We just got to talk about the gospel. And I used to be a pastor who thought a lot like that. Let's not distract people with this stuff. The problem is that Jesus called us to love our neighbors. And the political process is part of how we love our neighbors. And so what I want to say to people like that is realize Jesus has his own politic I don't mean that he's partisan he's not picking partisan sides what I mean is that Jesus has a way of organizing our collective life together how we deal with wrongdoing, how we forgive and respond to sin, how we organize marriages and families and sex. Jesus has a politic and we need to be faithful to that and put that in the foreground. And so if you can train your people in Jesus's politic, you will just find over time, they begin to become less interested in their partisan identity. And so that's that's challenging because it does mean talking about controversial issues, but you're not talking about them uh, from a partisan perspective. Now go out and vote for this person, Or, and see, this is our party, this is why we're right. You're talking about them from a kingdom perspective, saying this is how we do community together inside of the kingdom, inside of the church. And doing that's really helpful, because if you don't do it, someone else will. If you don't do it, it'll be cable news that does it. If you don't do it, it'll be social media that does it. If you don't do it, it'll be news media that does it. And so those are the two things I think we've really had to work hard at in our church, is discipling people inside of that um, politic and helping them to live it out in their life together.
0: Well, the book is Truth Over Tribe, Pledging Allegiance to the Lamb, Not the Donkey or the Elephant. My guest is Patrick Miller. He's director of digital ministries at the Crossing Church in Columbia, Missouri. He co-wrote the book with the co-lead pastor of the Crossing, Keith Simon. And in terms of the, the whole political uh issue the um, politics trying to decide how to vote and all of that obviously we w- whether you're on the left or the right you're trying to determine it based upon how you see the scripture how you see jesus teaching and and all of that and yet at the same time as we make those uh, those decisions you're do i understand you to say that uh it has to do with our attitude toward those that disagree and how we interact with them listening kindness yeah gentleness
1: generosity even yeah you know i I think when i talk about the politic of jesus for the average american the most political thing we do that or the most political thing we think we do is voting now that's something we might do you know two or three times a year depending on how active of a voter you are and what state you're in um and we think about that. That's when I'm doing my political thing. Because most of us aren't serving in political office. We're we're, we're not uh, civil servants or anything like that. Um, but I'd really actually want to flip the script a little bit and say, actually, that's not the most political thing you do. Actually, while it's important, it might be one of the least important political things you do. Because voting for someone, while it's very important, and again, it really does matter, what's far more important is how you live out the politic of Jesus in your local community. In other words, it's really easy to get fixated on what's happening in d c or maybe in your state capital. um, and that has an impact on your life. I'm not saying it doesn't, but those are places you have very little influence over. You know where you do have influence, you have influence over your own home. You have influence in your own church. you have influence in your own workplace. You have influence if you want it, in your own local community. So rather than wasting all of your internal energy going after these um, big national issues and worrying about those things, what if you started focusing on what was right there in your own backyard where you could actually make a difference? And again, this is what we've tried to do as a church. Like when we talk about living out the politic of Jesus, we have tried to radically do that. A few years ago, just as an example, we did a big uh, donation thing because we realized that there was a lot of medical debt in our city and Mm. that it was crippling people. And um, we found this company that could cancel a dollar of medical debt for just a penny. Mm. Now this is only for people who were making two times under the poverty line, they could buy that. That medical debt uh, for a penny you get a dollar of debt and so we had this crazy idea what if we canceled all of the medical debt in our city if we just gave enough on Easter and declared a jubilee, everybody in our city, you are free of medical debt. Well, as it turns out that that wasn't enough for our congregation because they gave so much money that we canceled $43 million hmm. of medical debt. That was almost 30 counties in our state alone. Well, that's a way of living out. Do we change lives? Yes. Those people got a letter in the mail that said, your debt has been canceled in the name of Jesus. And they would call us and they would say, I'm an atheist. Uh, I'm gay. I haven't been to a church in years. Why did you cancel my debt? And the answer was very, simple, very simple. You say, well, that's what Jesus did for us. That's living at the politic of Jesus locally where it can make a difference. We we trust try this all the time. We've canceled medical debt, we've canceled utility debt. This year we've we have we have gathered our church together to to try to end foster care inside of our inside of our community or take over foster care. Like let's be foster parents. We're doing this over and over again. And yeah, no one in Washington, DC cares, but in Columbia, if we left, I want people to say, man, that really bums me out because they actually made a difference here in our community. Now that's politics, that's political. It's not voting, but man, it is so much more important at least in my mind.
0: And that's pledging allegiance to the lamb. Yes. Well, uh, pastor Miller, uh, last thoughts, words of encouragement for people that have heard this and say, okay, (laughs) individually,
1: how do I start? I want to tell anybody listening to things. Remember how I started. I said, I'm a recovering tribalist recovering I'm not there yet I still have tribalism political tribalism inside of my heart I know it's there um, most people I meet they don't want to admit that it's kind of like greed I've never had anyone admit to me that they're a greedy person but we all know someone who's greedy right, right. and the same thing with you you can say oh I'm not tribalistic but you know someone who's tribalistic well no you need to stop you're probably greedy yes but you're also probably tribalistic there's something of tribalism inside your heart so the first and most important step is to try to put the mirror up, see that tribalism, say, God, search me and know my heart. See if there's any grievous way inside of me Mm -hmm. and repent of that tribalism. And then say, God, would you help me to put you first? Help me to put your kingdom first. And maybe that looks like for a while you're going to, Get off of twitter or the news media or the cable media that's getting you all tribalized or the radio station whatever it is maybe it means you need to listen to something else and engage with something else for you know a month or two months just to get yourself sober <laughs> from from that tribalism and then i think as a next step is just saying okay now what can i do locally to change my community because that's the politics that matters so those two things admit you have a problem and do something to reduce that problem and then finally say how can i make a difference in the name of jesus for his glory and kingdom in my community
0: You've been listening to His People on Pilgrim Radio. Many thanks to our guest, Patrick Miller, a pastor at The Crossing in Missouri, and co-author along with Keith Simon of the book Truth Over Tribe, pledging allegiance to the lamb, not the donkey or the elephant. Coming up on tomorrow's program, it's David Roach on how some are trying to revive shrinking church congregations. Churches of every denomination are closing. Uh, liberal and conservative. We can look at the denominational statistics and see that more progressive denominations tend to be bleeding members more quickly than more conservative denominations, but they're closing all across the spectrum. The difference really comes in when we ask, what are the closing churches or declining churches doing with their buildings? That's tomorrow at the same time, right here on His People. Thanks for listening.